Genre. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're discussing The Spirit of Christmas, the last episode written, the second one filmed, but the first episode aired of The Goes Wrong Show. It tells the story of a group of actors attempting to mount a filmed live performance of a heartwarming Christmas play, but everything goes wrong. And joining the discussion is returning guest John Dorowski. Welcome, John. I'm so excited to be here for this episode, which I believe is my first christmas episode for protagonist it's possible i there's been a good 20 of them now i guess <laughs> so i'd have to go double check uh back in the show notes and also uh producer andrew's gonna be jumping in on this discussion yes i will a uh, bit more info about this uh, story. The Spirit of Christmas originally aired on December 23rd, 2019, and was the first of six episodes of The Goes Wrong Show. It was written by, this particular episode was written by Henry Lewis, Jonathan Sayer, and Henry Shields. It stars Henry Shields as director Chris Bean, who is playing Mr. Snowman in the play. And so for all these actors, I'm going to say who the actor is, and then they have a persona they play on The Goes Wrong Show, because every episode is a different performance by this same acting troupe. So they all are playing an actor who has a different role for every single episode. So in this episode, Henry Lewis is Robert Groves playing Santa. Bryony Corrigan is Vanessa, Vanessa playing Belle. Charlie Russell is Sandra playing Nissel. Greg Tannehill is Jonathan playing Nossel. Nancy Zamet is Annie uh, playing Maud. Dave Hearn is Max playing Lawrence. And Jonathan Sayer is Dennis Tide playing Rudolph. And then also Chris Trevor is the stagehand Trevor. And he often uh, shows up running in to fix things that have gone wrong on the set. And there's a special appearance by singer Tommy Blaze in this episode. <laughs> so the premise of the Goes Wrong show that I kind of explained is that in each of these, there's, I think, a low-budget local acting troupe is trying to mount a production for uh, it feels like it should be like a cctv like you know, like a local television uh station just pointing a camera at a stage and getting a performance out but everything goes wrong in maniacal ways as you watch the episode like it's, it's kind of unbelievable the the levels that they go to and thus far there's been six episodes i have watched all six at your recommendation john so um can you tell me how you came to the goes wrong show well, I first became aware of this troupe with their play, The Play That Goes Wrong, uh, particularly when it came to Broadway and they did uh, actually a lot of promotion on like late night shows uh, because J.J. Abrams was producing it. So it was getting some attention. Uh, and then I came across that the show was coming to Amazon and made the connection. I was like, oh, this should be good. Watched all six episodes. I have watched them a couple of times now. I imagine with the way that the, uh, you know, the premise of the show is that it's the same acting troupe, that there's some running gags that you can start to pick up as you become more familiar with uh, the the characters, the act- how, how do I explain this? <laughs> with like the, so, the ticks of some of the actors. So um, the, uh, like Dave Hearn, who is playing Lawrence in this episode, like he will break character and mug at the audience whenever he gets a good reaction. And I think that <laughs> yes. runs through many of, like, many of his performances. Like it's always, he's yeah. kind of a bad actor, right? So th- that's why we need to say, we have the person, we have their persona, which runs through all the episodes and actually most of the plays they've done. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll have these same tics and uh, foibles. 
and then what role they're playing in this episode. <laughs> yes. So, so, but I, because of that, I think there's like running gags that I didn't really get my first time through watching. But when I was rewatching this Christmas episode for recording this, I was like, oh, I, now I'm catching a little more because this was the first one that I watched in the series. And so I hadn't caught all of, you know, the the nature of the performance for, for each individual actor, um, you know, what, what they bring to it. And I definitely got different jokes this time than the first time that I had watched it. Yeah, so um, Dennis, playing Rudolph, has a very small role in this episode. He appears at the beginning and the end, but the running joke is he can't remember his lines. And uh, Henry Lewis as Robert Groves is always trying to undercut the director. And and is always a bit angry. (laughs) He's got, I guess, he's playing suppressed rage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Andrew, was this your first time watching The Goes Wrong Show? Uh, no, I've watched uh, like half of the episodes that are available currently. Um, so I haven't watched all of them, but, you know, like I'm I'm getting into it enough where I get what's going on. I can see that, OK, there's consistency with these with these characters. And um, and so I did want to talk about like the meta humor. Mm-hmm. Like there's a there's definitely a certain amount of humor uh, there's a lot of humor that comes from watching this episode, right? There's, there's tons of humor in that. And then there's a certain amount of humor in knowing that they are playing characters who are playing characters. And so if you've got the series, you know, you've, you've got, Oh man, it's so hard, you know, like our, our core people with their personas and those personas carry through. And so you get a sense of that when you've watched two or three episodes, but it's still, it operates functionally on its own, right? You, yeah. you have certainly plenty of humor here. And then there's a different level of humor when you say, okay, but I'm watching a show about people putting on shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when, um, John had recommended that we watch the goes wrong show, I pulled it up on Amazon prime. And at the time, they had it ordered in its airing order on the BBC, which the Christmas episode was the first one. And when I went to pull it up to rewatch for um, prepping for this podcast episode, they had reordered it into what they had assumed would be their production order. So the the sixth episode uh, is now the Christmas. Episode. So the last one of their season is the Christmas special. I, as I said, I've watched this a couple of times and it seems like every time I pull it up, it's in a different order. <laughs> Who knows why? Which so like, may, so it'd be appropriate. Interesting to try to establish what is the actual narrative for the personas, right? Um, but yes. but I, I want to say like, as my first exposure to the Goes Wrong show, I laughed out loud watching the Christmas special. I just saw that there were different jokes when I came back to it um, and watched it watched it again. So like you're saying, Andrew, it definitely can stand alone as its own thing. Um, but, but it's interesting to kind of think about the layers of humor. And I know that like some it's very often said like nothing will destroy humor faster than trying to explain it. And we're by nature of our podcast, we're about to try and explain some humor in this. Um, but I think it's impressive the amount of like layers of comedy that are happening in this. It, it's about a half hour, the episode, right? Yes. Every episode is about a half hour. Okay. Um, so there's, there's quite a bit going on now. It's, it's, um, it's like if, if you've ever seen one of the skits on Saturday night live where they're starting to break, Mm-hmm. But that was a performance <laughs> layer, yes, that, right? That like, a, so you have to dig down an one more layer choice. from that. Yeah, there's, um, and, and the more you're aware of that because you've watched other episodes. And again, so like the actor who plays Lawrence is always mugging, um, you know, you start to add in 
like even more to the lives of the actors behind these characters. Now, John, you um, know the show better. So you had actually put in some trivia. Do you want to read off the trivia that you had found about the goes wrong show for us? Certainly. So this acting crew is known as mischief theater, but they're known fictitiously as the Cornley Polytechnic Drama Society. So at the beginning of every episode, the director present, uh, comes out to explain what they're going to do. And he always says that this is a production of the Cornley Polytechnic Drama Society. But if you want to look it up online, you need to look up Mischief Theater. Uh, it began as an improv group at Lambda University before developing into a comedic theater troupe in a Vaudevillian tradition. Their mission statement is, At Mischief, we are serious about silliness. We believe that everyone should have the opportunity to break free from the shackles of everyday life and escape with us to a world of carefully choreographed chaos, merry mishaps, and timeless comedy, a place where you can escape reality and laugh until you cry. It is this belief that lies at the heart of our brand and underpins everything we do. We call it ridiculous escapism. And so, <laughs> that so may be they, uh, the, the title of this episode. We call it ridiculous <laughs> escapism, because I think that's a pretty fantastic description of what I watched. Yes. So they had produced several improv shows, um, but they became famous for the plays that play that goes wrong. Uh, they're one of their first scripted works, which premiered in a room above a pub as the murder before Christmas in 2013, before moving to the West End and winning the best new comedy at the 2015 Lawrence Olivier Awards. And that is quite the journey. <laughs> My goodness. Yes. <laughs> and, and then was brought to Broadway by JJ Abrams. They have also created Peter Pan goes wrong. The comedy about a bank robbery. Grownups, G-R-O-A-N, and Magic Goes Wrong with Penn and Tella. Before the television show, they filmed a broadcast version of Peter Pan Goes Wrong and created The Christmas Carol Goes Wrong. The Goes Wrong show premiered on BBC One on December 23rd, 2019, and recently premiered on Amazon in August. It has been renewed for a second season, but no timetable. I mean, that might be. Uh, but during lockdown, they created The Goes Wrong Along, where they provided commentary for each television episode on YouTube, as well as shockingly launched a podcast, Mischief Makers, where they feature interviews with the cast and crew. Do are the um is the Peter Pan episode available? That's not one of the main series. No, so as, is... as far as I can tell, uh, you can find clips of it on YouTube, uh, but it's not accessible. There are also some DVD copies, but it's all region two. So it won't play. Here right. In the United so States. not accessible in the U S yeah. And I don't know about VPNs and how exactly they work and how it would allow access to the BBC archives. If you had that, but, it might, but possibly it's possible that you could get access to some other stuff. And is that the same situation for the Christmas Carol goes wrong? Yes. Because I would watch that in a second. They clip. Oh, absolutely. I've, I've only, you can only find a few clips, but they are hilarious. <clears throat> Sorry, I was just remembering one of the clips from Peter Pan with the uh, bunk bed or the bunk bed that's, class. That's the clip I always remember from <laughs> the Peter collapsing. Pan one because you shared that with everyone as part of like your your pitch for the series. Yeah, the, where the bunk bed keeps collapsing. Yes. Uh, well, listeners, before we move on to the summary of this episode, we want to thank each and every one of you for listening. And we especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level receive access to our special quick cast when we talk about the media that we have been consuming. And all patrons who support us with $5 per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss. Now on to the spoiler summary. 
and I will do my best to imply the comedy, but <laughs> it would not be a miss of you to just go. If you have an Amazon prime subscription, watch the episode and come back to this podcast and just skip ahead two minutes uh, past my summary. Um, so the play begins with Santa greeting some children from the local area, but they keep asking for gaming systems and Santa instead gives them an acting book by the actor who is playing Santa. Uh, what is the name of the book again, John? Anything you can act, I can act louder. Yes. Uh, then the presenter comes on and says, it's time to begin the play. A stocking falls into the fire. Then we see a girl bell building a snowman, which falls apart. In the house, mom, Maud, and dad, Lawrence, are arguing. While trying to prepare dinner, the grocery bag is full of Christmas ornaments instead of food, but they do their best to cook with those. The girl comes inside and wants to do a Christmas cracker. It explodes with too much force. Uh, they can't find the Christmas star for the tree, and Maud yells at Lawrence, and he storms out. Belle asks if she can sleep downstairs and she sings a yearning I want song to Santa, but the key keeps moving up from the orchestra and she struggles to keep up. At least she acts like she struggles. She seems to be a really good singer. I wouldn't be surprised if she could have actually hit. So it, it goes wrong along. They talked about that, that the actress Bryony is, is a very good singer. And they thought that she purposely went flat at the end instead of struggling to keep up. <laughs> Um, she puts her letter with a wish for Santa in it uh, that she w she's wishing for Santa to come help her family. And she puts this letter into the fireplace and then she falls asleep. The, the letter is supposed to be sucked up into the chimney, but we see a, a vacuum cleaner like lower slowly and grab the letter and lift back up into the chimney. Santa then comes down the chimney and one elf, Nissel, comes out. But the second elf, Elf Nossel is stuck in the chimney for the rest of the play. That is my favorite running gag. Well, that is the running gag for that actor. That's part of his persona is he can never quite enter the scene. <laughs> this one is fantastic. And the way yes. that he just delivers his lines uh, from the sound of being stuck in the chimney. It cracked me up every time. So Nissel, the elf who has made it out of the chimney, begins a duet and dance routine while Nossel yells his lines from the chimney. And the dance routine... To see one person do what is clearly a duet dance routine is fantastic. And uh, so much is implied about what would be happening if there was another actor right there. But also <laughs> the anxious look on Nissel's face while she's trying to do this. Uh, just I was going to say, that's other layer of meaning. <laughs> yeah. One of the things that sells all of it is the actors performing this like tension and anxiety of like, we are trying to be okay. <laughs> yes. Like when they pull out Christmas ornaments, instead of whatever it was, a chicken breast, they were supposed to be chopping on the cutting board and he just picks up a knife and starts smashing Christmas ornaments. Uh, or in this one, you know, she like the music starts and she like looks around panicked and then just launches in with her line. And then there's the pause and you hear the line yelled out from the chimney and the way the dance is being performed, you know, there's supposed to be uh, a mirror to a lot of the, the work that she's doing. It's, it's and very well choreographed. And the actor said that that was very hard to choreograph to figure out exactly how to create a dance that implies another person there, but can still work. <laughs> um, after this song, Santa discovers that real alcohol was left out on stage and uh, he starts to drink it. It begins to leak and he drinks an awful lot of it. Uh, Santa has a big musical number. It goes poorly because he's quite drunk now. Uh, and the actor playing Santa is lip syncing and he wanders far enough off stage that you see the singer who is singing his lines and Santa grabs the mic from him and starts trying to sing himself. And uh, eventually Santa decides to bring Belle's snowman to life to try and cheer her up. And uh, as the snowman comes to life, 
Griffin is an actor in just an absurd costume who is waving these tiny stick hands around and bouncing around because he's got these giant inflatable snowman body balls you know, around him. Uh, and he tries to cheer Belle up, uh, but she breaks down crying, which makes Santa break down. And Santa says, sometimes everyone feels sad. Denise left me. I've never gotten over that. Most of the time I'm fine. And then bam. It hits you. When Nissel says she's always happy, Santa says, why? You're essentially enslaved. They introduce a toy-making machine and try to cheer Belle up, but a stuffed unicorn gets stuck and torn in two. Belle's mom comes downstairs because she's heard something. (laughs) I don't know why it took her so long to hear something after all the chaos that's going on, but she comes down and she's heard something. And uh, the curtain that Santa, the snowman, and Nissel are hiding behind falls down from the set. Maude gets a phone call from Lawrence, who is still out, and Santa and his friends realize why Belle is actually sad. The snowman sings a song to Belle, but his scarf gets caught in the toy machine, and the actor is birthed out of the bottom of his snowman suit, wearing only his underwear, as the rest of the costume is sucked into the toy-making machine. Santa and friends... He's wearing his underwear and his carrot nose. And his carrot nose. <laughs> Such an absurd visual. Uh, Santa and friends uh, go outside just as Lawrence returns. It will be a happy Christ- Christmas after all. Uh, Lawrence has found the Christmas star, but it's a fake turkey because they mixed up the ornaments and the food props earlier. Uh, Santa tries to take off in his sleigh, but the sleigh falls apart. Then we go back inside the house where it is a lovely Christmas morning until the chimney falls down onto the family. The end. So how can we begin to approach an analysis <laughs> of the spirit of Christmas from the show goes wrong? Well, or the goes wrong show. Be, I always forget which one it is. <laughs> this might not be one of our most character centric analyses. Well, I think, mm-hmm. well, I was going to say, it's like, I feel like maybe the only thing we can talk about is the characters and like what, like the crisis that they are all having internally <laughs> As the crisis externally is occurring and worsening. Right. But maybe let's let's save that for the end, because I think that's where there might be a little more meat that we can dig into. Um, first, I just want to acknowledge, I think timing things going wrong in a live performance for the sake of comedy is harder than maybe we realize, um, because everything has to go wrong, like at an exact beat, like during a song, something has to happen. And if it was just things are going wrong and chaos is happening. Yes, we could laugh at that, but they had um, choreographed the disaster to happen so perfectly that like jokes are landing and, and then like a second punchline comes at the perfect co- comic timing, but it's things, you know, collapsing on the set or, uh, you know, the snowman falling out of his, his suit that's getting sucked into the machine. He had to fall out at the exact right part of the song. And, I, I just want to give credit to them that they were able to choreograph disaster in uh, it, it, with, with comic timing. I think that's also important in the levels of comedy because part of the source of the comedy is you have to be able to see the story that goes right in order for it to, in order for it to be funny when it goes wrong. So you can have to have a, some sense of, okay, this is where it took the turn. This is where it was going and how it would have been if it had gone right. And then you get to enjoy all the chaos uh, because of that. And just the, I'm thinking about like the writing exercise that it would be for them as, you know, a, a comedy troupe to write each one of these episodes where they have to essentially be more or less writing the real play. Like you said, the play that goes right, uh, but then working out everything that's going to go wrong 
at the same time. And it and, starts to make my head spin a little to try and keep and it all together. Let me make it even crazier, Joe. Uh, reverse engineering jokes where you know what you the punchline you want. So how do you build up to that? Uh, but but you lead the you audience to, to it. You with... have to introduce certain elements yeah. in order for the punchline to work. And it's one of the other episodes. Uh, the I forget the exact title. It's the one with the trial where you have this big punchline about a set at the end, but you have to introduce each piece of that beforehand. So you have to create a scene for each of the other sets for that mm-hmm. punchline to work. Right. So if I remember right in that episode, like there, there's set changes and like halves of sets come swinging in and then they perform a scene in it. And then halves of, those halves of sets get pulled out. Like it's a live theater production and you know, two new halves come in, but then the third time the wrong halves get put together. Yeah, <laughs> It starts to mix and match. Yeah. But in order for that to happen, you still have to create a scene for, all right. So you start with a family room and then you go to a doctor's office. So you could have these, split of a family room and a living room but then you have to create a scene for the doctor's office so that set exists Mm -hmm. and they do a very good job of making you feel like there's you know there'd be a uh, a successful version of this it it could be possible it's never going to happen with this troop of actors obviously (laughs) Uh, but but like it doesn't seem absurd that some local theater group would be putting on a play called the spirit of christmas that more or less follows the plot that we see though i think there's like some meta acknowledgement of uh, like santa particularly when he gets drunk he's like this doesn't make any sense i came through the chimney but my sleigh's out in the backyard (laughs) he just walks out of the backyard to get in his sleigh (laughs) yeah um but I also think that they not only acknowledge the challenges of, all right, what's the play that goes right? What's the play that goes wrong? But particularly with the Christmas story of how do we make some of this jokes function? And so I think it's really important that with Santa Claus, uh, when he gets drunk, he pulls down a beard so that you can see it's an actor. And so like, especially if you're watching with, with children, uh, you're not seeing Santa get drunk. You're seeing an actor get drunk who happens to be dressed like Santa. Yes. And uh I, well, let's let's save again. I, I want to dig into the character of uh, what's the name of the the, <laughs> the persona. Rose. Yes, that's the persona. That's my favorite for this one to, to talk about. But what other kinds of comedy are there besides, you know, set set pieces falling down uh, and, and things like that? That is worth acknowledging that you think was particularly successful. Well, I, I think along with the, the sets falling down, you have all the physical comedy. And that's important because this is coming out of that improv and theater tradition. And the actors do most of their own stunts. In fact, in the whole series, uh, the only time they had a stunt double was in this episode, and that was for Santa coming down the chimney. And all, all the rest of the time, the actors are doing their own stunts. Which is particularly impressive in one when someone falls from a ceiling later on. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, Andrew, is there anything that stood out to you? Well, I, the physical comedy is one of the things that comes to mind. Um, and, and you guys have already talked about the timing, but I think there is... Um, like the pacing and the timing where, like you were talking about, um, where you have to see what, what is supposed to happen, but you also have timing where you're not sure what is supposed to happen. Somebody's just waiting for something like in this one, there's a moment where someone's waiting for the phone to ring and she's kind of just like nudging herself over. I'm like, what is she doing? What is she doing? And then the phone rings and it's like, okay. And it like retroactively creates um a certain comprehension i'm really glad you brought that one up i love that example um because the the moment right before is the curtain falling down and you think the joke is that she's weirded out because santa and an elf and 
a snowman are standing in her living room. But really, she's trying to pretend she's not seeing that. And you're right. You have this moment of awkwardness, like, what is she doing? And then the phone rings and she like leaps over to the phone. And you now know, oh, she was waiting for the sound cue and someone was behind on that. Well, this gets into the whole theories of comedy about how it's about the cathartic release of tension. uh, That you build up a tension and then when it's released, uh, you have laughter in this case. And and that's a particular type of cathartic release. Yeah. And um, and so you've got moments like that. You've got moments where, uh, and you've mentioned a few of these, Joseph, where, where um, Robert Groves is pointing out the absurdity, not just of like the play in general, but also the absurdity. Like he realizes that things are going wrong. And he's like, this is stupid. <laughs> like, why are we trying to keep this together? And he keeps leaning over and he's like, not your best work, Chris. <laughs> Yes, and, but um, on, or on the other side, you have the, to... the button moment. He's like, <laughs> you just ate a plastic button. So I didn't summarize that one. Uh, do you want to share what that, that moment is? <laughs> I don't know if I do. <laughs> well, it's that um, after the snowman suit is sucked up, he's standing there in his underwear, which has buttons on it, because his, his next sign of trying to cheer up Belle is my my buttons are made of biscuits. Perhaps we could try eating them <laughs> to cheer us up. And just that awkwardness of pulling off a button and handing it over. And she has to eat it because that's the role. <laughs> and, and, and you get so many, like you get everyone's different reactions. You've got like four different people on, on stage for that one. And so you have um, Chris, the snowman who's like, all right, I'm I'm proceeding. I'm the director. I'm making this happen. And you have I don't know, I, I can't keep the name straight, but the one who has to eat the button. That's Bell. She just Bell. looks so uncomfortable and stressed out about it. And then there's the sympathetic stress from from Nissel, who's like watching this happen. He's like, Oh, please don't do it. Don't do and it. And just has to deadpan deliver deliver her line of Did you like that, Bell? <laughs> <laughs> and that's the other half of the comedy you have people who are breaking out of character, but you also have people who are trying so hard to stick to it, even as everything goes wrong. And so they're trying to stay on script, but have to acknowledge that, okay, this is quite what we were planning. Well, mm-hmm. and then you get, I mean, another source of the comedy is those lines that have like the double layered meaning. Like, did you like that bell? Uh, would make perfect sense in the version of the play you know is supposed to be have hap- at, you know be happening, but now it like and her line delivered like the disgust of did you like that bell? <laughs> um, yeah, and so the the line changes because it's gone wrong. Uh, those have those have got to be hard to write, like right. where that line has an intended meaning and then it just amplifies the discomfort so much more. Yeah, and like talking about the kinds of comedy you get the so besides like the physical comedy of the Pratt Falls and like things fought, lighting on fire and uh, costume being sucked up, you have like um, the snowman with his tiny stick arms <laughs> trying to like do things on the show, which isn't really about things going wrong. It was like this was just poorly designed from the beginning, and I don't know how this wasn't caught and run throughs, guys. <laughs> that he can't <laughs> hand her a gift with his little stick arms, um, and it just makes this fantastic visual. Like there's this. Uh, the the visual when they first spin the uh, the snowman around, which is clearly like there's this smoke bomb that goes off and slowly 
the plastic snowman that she had been building, you know, faux building, uh, spins on a rotating thing and Chris appears. And you know he was supposed to appear immediately during the smoke bomb, but it's just slowly being revealed. And it's just such an absurd costume. And the visual, like, there's moments of just visual absurdity that delight me um, in, well, the, in, in the, the show. The costume is too big to fit through anything. So he can't, <laughs> he can't fit through doors. The rotating platform is too small for him. So he has to try and suck it, suck it in. <laughs> Which is impossible yeah. when you're wearing a inflated suit. <laughs> There's, yeah, like, I think some of the humor is the different ways that things go wrong. Where it's like, like you said, Joseph, this was poorly designed. They should have been able to resolve this in, in run-throughs. Then there's things like, oh, the set's falling apart. Oh, something got caught in the gears. Oh, something fell down. And I think one thing that is very impressive, and I'll be interested to see how they do it through the next, I'm assuming, six episodes, is you would think, through six episodes of a show that is all geared around basically like a low budget local theater production going poorly, you're going to imagine most of what can go wrong in terms of props falling apart, wrong props being handed to people, costume issues, um, actors breaking character. But I felt through at least the six episodes that they produce, they keep it pretty fresh. And yes, there is like in the abstract something goes wrong with the set happens in most every episode, but the specificity of what's going wrong with the sets does change enough that it doesn't feel redundant. Now I don't know that I'd sit back down and do a binge of all of these. And uh, Emily and I were watching them pretty much like one per week, but it always, I, I was really impressed with how fresh they managed to keep the going wrongness feeling. Well, I have binged them and it still feels fresh, but that's also when I start picking up the other layers of, Oh, there are personas that are, throughout they're they're doing the same th they are doing the same thing but it's in a different context and it's a sense of familiarity and difference of oh this is the familiar joke but it's in a fresh context so it still works oh and um i just remembered like another one of the the types of comedy that they're going with is like the audience interaction like it's the fact that there is a live studio audience here which know, how how live is that studio audience or is that is it like are they scripted no that is a live audience but they do several takes of scenes it takes a couple of hours for them to record this half hour it's not that they're just going through straight through several times this did start as a play but it sounds like the, the filming for tv is more like filming a sitcom episode well none of these were for the plays right uh and that actually was one of the other sources of comedy is they are not acknowledging the medium of television uh sometimes more so in some of the other episodes where they have jokes that only work because it's TV. Well, in this one, you do have Robert Groves yeah. like chasing the camera when he's getting really drunk and irate, and the camera starts to pan away. I wasn't saying that it doesn't happen here. It's just there are yeah. some better examples in other episodes. Mm -hmm. But that's another thing is uh, they were able to transition very easily from the stage to uh, television and work out jokes that work for a television medium that they could never do on stage and what that i think when we're talking about the different kinds of comedy like there's a different energy to watching an improv show live that when you watch a filmed version of the same improv show like it, it often doesn't translate very well um like there's an artistry that the live performance is able to uh form a relationship with the the audience that's right there that somehow doesn't go through the camera terribly well and yes there are some good examples like there are phenomenally hilarious moments on whose line is it anyway but it's not like 
television landscape is littered with improv shows that are being filmed and put on TV because it, it just often doesn't mm-hmm. quite work. Uh, and somehow, like you're saying, like they, they pivot just enough to be at home in a new medium. Like they're not just doing their improv thing. Uh, this is all incredibly scripted and choreographed. Like if some of these uh, gags had gone wrong, it could have gone really wrong because <laughs> there's open flames and large set pieces falling around. Um, so they have to know exactly when everything is supposed to happen and, and how and exactly why. So it's not the same as an improv, but it does have some of that, uh, that chaotic energy of, of an improv show. Um, one, one thing that it you just got me thinking about with um, the recognition of the audience, both the studio audience and the film audience, there's also like some element of comedy in where the actor's eyes go, like when they look at the audience mm-hmm. as something's going wrong. Like we've talked about their reactions to things going wrong, but sometimes there's like a looking over to the wings. It's like, is someone going to tell me to do something differently? <laughs> Yes, particularly I think uh, Charlie Russell, who plays Nissel, I, has some of the best. Um, like I'm an uh, actor feeling awkward. <laughs> Face, oh, yeah. well, like, and she's she's the one that has to like turn the the drinks container over so it stops spilling and stops getting Santa drunk. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so she, she's got like this look around like towards the stagehands or somebody. Like she's looking at somebody often. Yeah, with, yeah. with right. her eyes. Can you guys and, help me? Are we still doing this? <laughs> Well, that's one of her quirks that you can see throughout the episodes is she's the one who will look into the camera, mm-hmm. which you're not supposed to do, but she will look directly into the camera after delivering a line so that she gets the acknowledgement of it. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow with uh, the actors like playing different roles every time, like it's always clearly Henry Lewis as Robert Groves playing whatever <laughs> character in every play. Like he's just, he's just so Robert Groves in what he performs. I do have to say that uh, it's Charlie Russell who plays Sandra. Sometimes I was like, wait, is that the same one that was the elf? <laughs> like she just looks so different when they give her different hair colors and different wigs and different stylings. I was, uh, mm-hmm. she's, she's much more of a chameleon. Uh, but then you do like John is saying, start to catch on that, you know, her, her persona uh, as uh, Sandra, you know, is always the one that's a little more aware that, we might need to call this guys <laughs> or, or, or that she wants the attention. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like she's like, I'm, I'm in on this with you guys. Like I'm with you viewing audience. <laughs> yeah. I, I know this is going wrong. I'm not pretending. <laughs> well, and then, so, so with those layers of like, as things go wrong, like the Robert Groves one is like, kind of throws up his hands and gives up more than anyone else. Uh, and uh, like during the, the elf number, uh, Sandra's definitely like giving it her all to try and make it work. But as things start to break down, you, you see like the exasperation come through a little more yes. uh, it, w- with her. And, and so like thinking about like how each one of these personas is breaking down differently. Uh, like Lawrence, uh, he seems kind of unaware that things are going badly because he's such a bad actor. He's just delighted to be on stage. Almost. Yeah. And, and he, and he is just looking towards the audience. Like he doesn't care about the but TV. It's, it's, it's mugging. The audience gives him that feedback. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. mugging whenever anyone cheers about or laughs at anything that he does. He's mugging to the audience, not because things are going wrong the way Nissel is. It's because I'm delighted that you like what I'm doing. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a different look than Sandra gives. Where Sandra seems to want the attention. He uh, is playing to the audience. He's trying to build that energy. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, he mugs to them and he'll... If he gets a response, he'll repeat the action again to get try and get the same response. Yeah. And then and, uh, Chris, who's the director, he's the one who's most clearly just 
I'm going through with my lines. I'm yes. I'm carrying on. We, we, We're going. I, to I, the I'm the director. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to keep this on the rails. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, like and and so he is almost like, um, what like stoically not recognizing that things are going wrong. Yes, I will stand like, here in yeah. my underwear as though I was still in a snowman costume because that's what yes. an actor does. And if I believe it enough, you will believe it too. And then I also think it's interesting in, in different episodes to have like a sense of the people who aren't on stage the whole time. So like the, the, the mother character in this one uh, has to keep coming out and seeing how things are going. Yes. <laughs> and there's like a, a certain reaction that she has to like, Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's also one of the joys of watching all the episodes is uh, they do emphasize different casts in each episode. They do try different pairings and, Sometimes one uh, one person will be a star, and the next episode they might only have two lines. Right. So, so they uh, they try like they try and balance it out so that everyone has the opportunity to shine at some point. I I will just say because of the physicality, uh, you know, the physical uh, size with, with Henry Lewis, where he just is like bursting through the the stage, like he he like both the energy that he has and also he's he's the biggest actor. I think he's the tallest. Like he just has a different physicality. There's one uh, later episode that happens to have both uh, Adolf Hitler and um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm sorry, Ch- Churchill. Yes, I, the visual of. of Adolf Hitler in that episode really just caught me off guard as I as I remembered it. Uh, somehow it was my own brain surprising me. But it also was Winston Churchill. But they they cast um, the uh, actor who's playing Santa in this one as Hitler, not as Churchill. And then they put another actor in a fat suit to play Winston Churchill. And something about it just cracked me up so much because there's this odd physicality that exists between those two in the, in the scenes that they're on stage together. Um, so let's, I, I, let's talk about the character based comedy that comes out of this. Cause we've talked about the physical farce elements and, you know, the, the, the chaos, uh, elements of comedy and even some of the timing elements. But I think a lot of the comedy really is rooted in character, which feels odd to say for such a broad, <laughs> broad 30 minutes of, of screen time that, that we're given. Uh, so w- if you were trying to like find the things that you have to like be connecting with these people as humans in order to laugh at what's happening around them, not just as like, Oh, someone tripped. Uh, what, is, what is most rooted in character for you two? Um, uh, so which character, the one yeah, playing like, do the story pick or their persona through the characters. Well, I was gonna say, well, well, choose one that stood out for you and let's, let's talk through that. And then we can cycle over to another one. Maybe Andrew, uh, um, what were you going to say? So uh, I think, um, Again, again, the the mother character in this one, she has this kind of like frantic. I'm just going to make it work kind of energy as she's like stirring a bowl full of tinsel <laughs> and she hands him the ornaments and she's like clearly with her eyes. She's saying, just chop the ornaments. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's, there's a sort of like this is this is so wrong so suddenly. And my best solution is just to go with it. And so, and she kind of has this, like, huh, energy to it. But if you've seen... Like, like, she's almost exhausted before it starts. I mean, if you've ever done, uh, like, high school theater or seen a, a school production of something or, you know, a, a community production, you know there are things that do go wrong. And, you, and, and part of the fun is seeing actors just make it work. Like, I still remember, I would have been, like, 
10 or, or, or maybe 12 uh, when I saw a high school production of the Scarlet Pimpernel and there's a big duel at the end and one of the swords was terribly oh, bent. <laughs> I remember that one. And you would have been like, you, even Chester? better. Yeah, but was yeah, it? they I just mean, went through yeah. with the duel because that's what you have to do. You can't stop <laughs> the play because mm-hmm. uh, there's dozens of people who are, timing has been perfected and so you just got to push through or else you're going to really mess some stuff up. Was this the musical version? Yes. So you saw a world premiere of that version, which probably hasn't been played anywhere else. Yes, I know that. And subsequently, there was a different Broadway musical version. <laughs> well, of, about, well, a, a different musical same, version that I think did make it to Broadway. About the same time mm-hmm. that was happening on Broadway. I remember this because I was in pit orchestra for that musical. Yeah. Uh, but it's just one of those moments where, okay, that went wrong. Or where you see, like, a have seen a chair break that clearly was not meant to break. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And you just kind of I, find a way to I carry had, through the scene. I had a scene. prop break on set once. Yeah. All right. Well, and sometimes it's not props and stuff. Uh, David Harbour, who plays Sheriff Hopper on Stranger Things, told a story about a time he was playing Shakespeare play uh, in New York. Uh, Shakespeare in the Park, I believe. And he injured his Achilles tendon in the middle of the play and he couldn't leave. So uh, when his next speech came up, he came out with a chair and a uh, ice pack, put his leg on the chair and was icing his leg while <laughs> delivering his speech. <laughs> and like, you just have to go on. Um, is it, so for the characters, like that's one of the ones I remember from this one, because it's like, this is the first thing that has gone wrong. Mm hmm. And it's and it seems so much like she's already just so tired. She's like, rehearsals have all gone wrong. This is going wrong. I just well, I just don't have that it. Was Nancy playing that. Annie playing Maud. It's yeah. who we have for that one. It's not just the exhaustion of the play. It's her character in the story. Uh, that's Christmas Eve. They don't have everything ready. She's stressed out because all the cooking's not done, and so that leads to the argument that they have. Right. And so there's like there's the um, the tension inside the play and the tension outside of that play where she's supposed to look stressed and then she actually is becoming stressed. Yeah. I think uh, Belle, uh, which, which actress is that? <laughs> that's Bryony playing Vanessa playing Belle. Yeah. Um, that's an interesting one because she is as much as possible the straight person in the story. Uh, and that she mm. isn't the source of comedy. She's reacting to all the comedy um, because she has the main through line. Uh, she's the heart of the story. And so she doesn't get to do all the broad stuff. She has to uh, kind of be as normal as possible. You know, I hadn't realized it until you just said it. But yeah, like very little of the chaos is cosmetic. Sometimes it happens to her, like the, the cracker exploding or having to eat the button. Uh, but it's not the same sort of stuff we see happening with the elf and with Santa and the snowman or any, any of that at all. Like she really is more centered. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, she is the center of the story. So uh, what was, you've talked about a quote about Frazier a couple of times of mm-hmm. um, when he was on cheers, he could be the color, but and when he moved up to Frazier, he had to, he had to be the, the canvas is what he canvas says. and everyone else put color on. And that's what you have here is she has to be the canvas for everyone else in this story. Uh, and uh, I mean, I, I guess the, the most like 
thing that happens to her is her her song like it goes too high but it's not the same at all as what we see happening with santa particularly yeah like she she doesn't take any falls yeah and when the song's going too high like she she does a pretty good job like you know she's struggling like like she's motioning to the orchestra lower the key lower the key <laughs> joseph who's uh, what what's like one of your big ones for like the character for me it's uh it's definitely uh henry lewis playing robert playing santa like the who very quickly moves out of playing Santa and yeah, just yeah, playing yeah, exactly. he really <laughs> stops. And, and we get these like little rev- revelations about his life. Like I, I included in the in the uh, summary his little monologue about Denise left me. <laughs> like when, <laughs> when he just suddenly says, "Everyone's sad sometimes," which you know is the line in the play where he's trying to comfort Belle. Everyone's sad sometimes, and then he just breaks. He's like, "Denise left me." And and he has such a gravelly voice uh, that the, something about that line delivery I, just cracks me up to no end. And you start to see his performance is rooted in not just an actor trying to get through a play, but an actor whose life is falling apart around him outside of it. And he's trying to put on a brave face to be able to play in the play. And the play's going so badly that all the facade is crumbling. So you get these layers, you know, breaking through with him. Well, and and then you get like the layers because of the life tragedy that he's having. You get the layers of just like his civility crumbling. Yes. Like his attitude towards the audience and his attitude towards Chris. Well, and also added with the alcohol, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so like he is like compounding his stuff. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm an actor and this is not going well, but my life's not going well. And that's seeping into it. And, and you know, I'm just becoming short with everybody. And and giving up on, uh, you know, the, the facade of me being Santa. And, like, I'm going to start critiquing people's yeah. performances around me. And that's why it's so important that uh, he pulls the beard down so you see the actor underneath. So it's not Santa doing all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You can Everyone can see. And children watching this would understand, no, that's Robert Groves. Yeah, behind Santa that Robert Groves is doing all this stuff, not Santa. And and there's that little opening at the beginning of Santa, like meeting the local children where like the gag is uh, like he, he pulls out a card. He's like, Santa's here to welcome. And then he pulls out the card and it just says local area, you know, children from and he, he's supposed to say city. But, you know, so this is a traveling troop. But the card actually just says local area. Um, and that's when we first like see him break down. And it like that scene actually has nothing to do with the play. That's like the story that's about to be told. But I think it's doing that work at the very beginning of him, uh, like handing out the book, saying it's from an actor and like pulling off the beard. So you see that the face on the book is the same face as this, of this actor um, here, here playing Santa. And so like the, the fourth wall breaking is already apparent as you have the director, like introducing the scene, but then we're going to have this little vignette beforehand that is even going to, you know, reveal everything to the audience. So, because my sense is this was meant for an, an all ages audience, like none of the the humor, which could certainly be very adult, goes to adult in this. Well, that's because of when it aired in Britain. Uh, they have what's called the nine o'clock watershed, where everything before nine o'clock seems, needs to be family friendly, and anything after can uh, you can have the swearing and nudity, right? Uh, so, like Doctor Who is always before that nine o'clock watershed. But, you know, it could be it could still be an intense show. Mm-hmm. Um, John, any, anything else that stood out comedy wise that you want to make sure we touch on or character wise? Uh, there are a couple of things uh, that aren't uh, really emphasized in this episode because we don't get a lot of them. So 
uh, Jonathan Sayer is Dennis, who's playing Rudolph. Literally, it's just at the beginning and the end of the show. He books end it where in the beginning he comes up and asks, uh, "What sound does a reindeer make?" And the response is, "That's really something that should come up in rehearsal." And so when he comes in, the, the end is Rudolph and uh, is supposed to uh, charge off uh, instead of sounding like a reindeer. He says, "That's really something we should have discussed in rehearsal." As, yeah, which that's what they, a they, reindeer sounds like. They they telegraph that really early on. And then they pay it off right at the end. Well, and so much time um, has so you passed. have plenty of time yeah. to to you have time to forget that that happened, but not so much time that you forget. Oh, he's going to say it wrong. Yeah, and that's, uh, but that's his persona throughout the series. Is he's the one who forgets lines or comes in at the wrong timing, uh, or I yeah, I remember you... in another one like we're told what his uh, cue is. But then, like different versions of the queue keep getting almost said, and he you, bursts in every time. <laughs> are you discussing the lodge? Yeah, <laughs> Andrew, have you seen that one? No, I haven't okay. seen that one. I was thinking um, in the, the pilot, the, the the pilot that is not the pilot. He's he's um, what is he's like the telegraph machine? Yeah, and he keeps handing the wrong thing in the wrong order. Yeah, so the same premise of the timing is off, or he doesn't know his lines and. Uh, someone has to tell him what his lines are. And uh, that is his through line. And it gets played so differently in different episodes. So he in the trial one, he is the lead, one of the leads. Uh, and how they treat how he forgets lines there is completely different. But it's, so it's the same premise, but the format of the joke is different. And again, that's one thing that was so impressive to me in watching the six episodes because, you know, the basic premise is everything crumbles around these poor actors. Uh, but they do make it feel different. Yes, um, and then we uh, oh, lastly, we have uh, Greg Tannehill as Nossel. Where oh, I wanted to talk about him. The running joke is that he can never enter a scene. Uh, that he's always on the outside somehow. Uh, best portrayed in an episode where he is a butler who cannot open a door to enter the scene. <laughs> He just struggles with the doorknobs throughout. Um, so in this one, his his humor from not entering is also like where he is stuck, and he like starts losing circulation, <laughs> and he and he they turn on the fireplace and burn him. <laughs> when, when Santa turns on the fireplace, you just hear hot 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 hot. <laughs> like you you could, I, I had forgotten that he was in the chimney. <laughs> it was just so funny. Um, and they they give him just the right amount of lines throughout the story where it's like, okay, it's not like they're not omitting his lines. He just doesn't have very many lines. He should just be present and he's not present, but he, he says his lines when he's supposed to. And that really plays well with the musical number uh, where you can like, he's singing his lines. And so you can tell what movements he would have been doing if he was there. Yeah. But uh, and that's really hard to choreograph of there's clearly another person who's supposed to be here and you could tell what they're supposed to be doing. But this person, but they're other, not there. But the other person has to do it solo. Yeah. And I really, I really just love Nissel's exasperation. I think that was the phrase that you used, Joseph. Like, of I am doing this by myself, and he's supposed to pick me up and spin me, <laughs> and so I'm just gonna spin. And well, just, I'm just gonna be so depressed about it. It ends on a trust fall. <laughs> That's right. And he's not there. <laughs> Um, really all together, like the best thing I can say about this 
is it's really, really amazing. Like I have watched things screw up before, and this is some of the best intentionally choreographed screwing up I've ever seen. Yeah, and uh, I honestly do laugh out loud in every episode, and this one, even on the rewatch, I just definitely <laughs> got got caught, you know, surprised uh, with with how it was going to go wrong. Even as like you are, the setup is there, and you're just waiting for it, and then they they consistently. Well, it's a good mix of both paying off what you know has been set up, but then also like hitting you from left field with something that you didn't know was coming. <laughs> like it, it's both both kinds of comedies are going to happen in this. But I think a really good example is with the songs because they are good songs, and as they just something goes off with them, like either one dance member's not there, or some gets sucked up into a toy machine. <laughs> But like they're good songs. It's just something else is going on that ruins it for them. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, listeners, I think we all give a strong recommendation that you go and find someone who has Amazon prime, or if you have it, that you go enjoy watching the goes wrong show. Any final thoughts before we wrap this all up? I think that Disney should let these guys work with the Muppets uh, to create something. <laughs> I feel I feel there's a very similar energy between this and Cookie Monster. Well, if you watch the original Muppet show, I mean, it's a lot of the same premise of Kermit trying to keep the show on the rails while things go wrong around him. Oh, so, Kermit and Chris is Yeah, I think that's, they, a, that's like a power chat. If they gave these guys a Muppet project, you'd have a successful Muppet project. Yes, I think it would be a little more behind the scenes is what you need with the, the Muppets, even even more meta, where you really are like cutting to the the reactions, uh, you know, of the stage crew more so on the side, not just them running onto the stage that we get in this, you know, but but yeah. more of that backstage banter that's going on. I could see it. Well, I was going to say you had mentioned that they they have like Peter Pan goes wrong and the Christmas hero goes wrong. And that does feel a little bit of the like Brian Henson era, uh, you know, after Jim Henson had passed where you got Muppet Treasure Island and Muppet Christmas Carol, where some of the comedy is going to also be coming from familiarity with classic works that you like the the goes wrong or goes right version is known whereas with this it's kind of like well what would the goes right version be we kind of have to imagine it and you know we're given enough that we we could put it together but if it's the christmas carol like you know what is going to happen um all throughout and it's just how is it not happening and why all right. Well, I think that's going to wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us. For show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, you can go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We would like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. You can reach us by emailing feedback at ProtagonistPodcast.com. We're also on Twitter. You can follow at ProtagonistPod or at Naderowski. And producer Andrew is at this minute, and our Facebook fan page is Facebook.com slash ProtagonistPodcast. Thank you again for listening. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So... All right. Uh, We're recording, so I will go ahead and get started. Hello, everyone. Mm.